Welcome to this latest edition of the Real Deal Podcast. Of course, I'm your host, Real Gerald Quinn. Recording this, of course, on a Monday, uh, episode 899. So the next episode we record later on this week, probably on Wednesday, will be 900. And it will be for Snowfall. Uh, will be the, the latest, the next edition of uh, Snowfall, um, season one, episode seven. We're through six episodes so far with Snowfall. So uh, with Snowfall, of course, we're doing, doing a rewatch from seasons one through three. Uh, so check that out when you get a chance to. It is good to be back with you just talking some sports. We'll do some pop culture as well. We're going to celebrate uh, hip-hop at 50. We're gonna do, so we're going to start a series on that. But we begin... In the DMV, um, the Washington Commanders have a new owner. Uh, it was announced, of course, last Friday. It was not announced, but it was uh, made official that Josh Harris would be the new majority owner of the Commanders' $6.05 billion he paid for this franchise, which, is, of course, is a record uh, for a franchise in any sport, any team sport. Um, and of course, that's no surprise. It's the NFL product, which is probably the most valuable product in all the sports. Even even Daniel Snyder couldn't, you know, couldn't keep uh, Washington from being the most valuable franchise in terms of being in terms of paid, uh, in terms of um the the buy uh, that that buyout fee, not buyout fee, but uh, in terms of them getting uh, six billion dollars for it. Now imagine if Snyder wasn't. If we hadn't had Snyder all these years, the franchise probably would be worth probably $10 billion. So keep that in mind. But regardless of, regardless of that, Washington has a new owner. And with that comes hope, right, uh, hope of a, a new day, a new era uh, for a fan base that has been, you know, just, I shouldn't say starving, has been probably... They're probably some of the most disrespected fans in all the sports you know, over the la- over the better part of the last 24 years. They have had simply the worst owner in all the sports, if not one of the worst owners in the history of sports. And that's not that's that's not no exaggeration. Like over the past since 1999, this team has been run as poorly as any franchise known to man. I'll, you can take any franchise, and you can take the most. You could take the worst franchises from any sport, and I uh, from any sport, and I challenge you, and I, I promise you that they had, they have not been run worse than this team on as well as off the field, and particularly off the field. As bad as they've been on the field, they have been. Uh, he, because I I can't even say they. He uh, was even worse as an owner off the field. And I listen, I'm not going to spend too much time time, time on Snyder because we like I I'm not going to say anything that already has not been said about him. Um I'm glad like I'm glad he's gone. Um it was a long time coming. I don't care that he's getting 6 billion dollars. Uh I just just wanted to, he just needed to be out the door. I I don't even care about the fact that he's getting paid from this to be honest with you. Um you hear something like You'll hear um, talk about an athlete or a person. You'll say, "Hey, man, that dude or that that, that young lady. She's a they are they are a great 
they're great athletes, but you know what? They're even better people. With Daniel Snyder, there was like, this guy's a horrible owner, but he was even a worse person, if that was possible. So as bad as he was, as a bad as he was, as a poor as he, of, of, of an owner as he was, he was even a worse human being. Like he was like this guy. You can't you borderlining on like basically borderlining on being, on being a criminal, and he did and he did some subtle some criminal activity as far as maybe not getting maybe he shouldn't be locked up, but borderlining on on, on being a criminal. That's how bad a person that this guy was, and that's how toxic. And he was like the epitome of a cancer. And this franchise will be, like I said, this franchise is definitely going to be addition by subtraction uh, from that standpoint. But with that being said, Josh Harris comes in. Um, I want the expectation, if you're a fan of the team, which I'm a fan of the franchise and have been for a long time now, going back you know, to the Joe Gibbs, uh, you know, Bobby Beathard, that whole, or, you know, Jack King Cook, that, you know, that, that, you know, that reign um, during the 80s and when they were winning championships and when they were one of the premier franchises and not only in all of football, but in all the sports. You have to go, you have to hold this team, this franchise to a expectation that goes beyond, hey, we got, we don't, at least he's not Snyder. Not being Daniel Snyder, is not is almost impossible to be as bad as Daniel Snyder. It's almost impossible. So that that should not be the standard for Josh Harris. Josh Harris now listen, Josh Harris comes in with a lot of excitement. He said a lot of great things. He's relatively young. Uh for owner. It's only what, fifty eight. Um he has twelve years of owning of uh experience in terms of ownership. In terms of with the Sixers, Crystal Palace, also with the New Jersey Devils. So he does not get the honeymoon that you would give most new owners because, frankly, he's not a new owner. This is not his first time in his, this is not his first rodeo as far as owning a professional sports team, which is like, which, if you're a fan of the team, that is a, that's not a good thing. That's a great thing. You're coming in with a guy, Though this would be his first time owning a football team, you're coming in with a guy that knows how to run a franchise. Um, and before we even talk about what needs to be done, um, I don't want to hear another word about the name. To be honest with you, I that I mean that to me that was the name thing is last on the list of things that need to be changed about this franchise. You have to shift the entire culture that's been infected over the past 24 years. You have to change your culture, which is the hardest thing to do in all the sports is to change a culture, especially when you have had a culture of losing and, and, a, and a toxic culture at that that goes beyond just losing, just a toxic culture in general. With the workplace, with some of the, with the federal investigations that have happened because of Daniel Snyder. So that's the first thing, okay? He has, they have so many things to do that go, that that go beyond just a name. He has to decide which people that he wants to keep within that organization from an from a infrastructure standpoint. He has to decide who goes and who stays. Now, yeah, Rivera's going to be here as a head coach, okay? Um, you're assuming that they'll probably keep the majority of, the, of, the, of their front office people. They'll, you, there'll, there'll be some tweaks here and there, 
but they have so many decisions. First, you know, first and foremost, they got to get a new state. They got they need a stadium and a quarterback. So on the field, you need a quarterback. Off the field, you need a new you need a brand new stadium. So they, I mean, the name thing is that that is that that's that's neither here nor there as far as I'm concerned. Right now, like the name thing is the last thing that should be on people on the, on people's minds. Now again, this is. This is the Daniel Snyder effect because people, the name is horrible. The commander we know is one of the worst names in all of football, maybe in all of sports. It's just a horrible name. We know the name is trash. I'm not saying, I'm not defending the name. What I'm telling you is there are way more important things to do within that organization than, than, a, than a name change. Like the name thing is, it's, it's not, it's just not something that's, that's important in terms of the grand scale of this organization and what needs to be changed within this organization, like I said, with from an infrastructure standpoint, from a culture standpoint, before you before we even talk about on the field. So I'm not I'm not concerned about the name. Um that's the last thing that you should be worrying about if you're a fan of the team, to be honest with you. And again, you said all the right things at the press conference. I don't care that he grew up in the Chevy Chase area and that he was a fan of the team growing up. I could care less about that stuff. That stuff means nothing to me. Because ultimately, it's going to be coming down to actions and deeds. He's going to have to go out there and shift an entire culture that's been toxic for 24 years. And it sounds nice buying the fans beers, cool. That's a nice little goodwill uh, gesture. That's cute. But he's going to have to change. He's going to have to change the culture. And he with a job, sure. Like he now, you may not agree with what how he went about it in terms of Philadelphia, the process, and all that. And the whole and all that, and how they went about their infrastructure with the culture, and a lot of people still don't like the culture in Philadelphia right now. But the bottom line is, they've had a they had a championship caliber roster this season. That team on the paper, that team had a championship caliber roster. Like I can't blame him for Embiid and Harden and their behavior and their mentalities. That's not his fault. He put the necessary pieces, uh, you know, as a franchise, they put the necessary pieces within that franchise. Uh, general manager coaching that it thought that they could get the team to a championship level. But that's, uh, listen, we're in the conversation. That's all you want to be. Winning a championship is hard in sports. It's hard to win a championship. There, there are teams and franchises, there are a number of franchises <laughs> that don't, that haven't gotten to the championship level, let alone want winning a championship. You just want to be in the conversation year in and year out. You want to be in the conversation. That's all you want to be as a franchise. You want to be in the conversation. And like I said, having it is an enormous advantage for him to have 12 years of, of experience of owning a team. That means he's made a number of mistakes because they all do. All owners, all of them make mistakes at the beginning. You can go back. I don't care who, Robert Kraft, I don't care, Jerry Jones, whoever, whoever great owner. I don't, I don't care what owner you're talking about. They all make mistakes. In the beginning, they all made they all of them, especially nowadays with these new owners right nowadays who want to make big splashes right away. That stage, he should be that should be out of his system as far as want want to make a big splash and want to put his imprint on the franchise and want to be. I I just, I hope he's not the type of owner that is a look at me type owner. Because that's a problem in sports right now. You have too many owners who want to be in front of the camera instead of behind the scenes and getting the work done and letting the smart people letting smart people who are experts at their particular jobs, general manager, personnel, let allowing them to do their jobs. 
again, he seems like the, the, and the stuff that you read, he seems like a, he, now all these guys, these guys, all these new owners, I don't care who it is in any sport, they're paying a fortune for these franchises. So they're going to be hands-on. They're going to be hands-on somewhat. That, that's just part of it. That's just part of it. They're paying a fortune for these franchises. I mean, talking billions of dollars. So that, that's going to come with, uh, that's just going to come with the territory of, uh, with the expectation of, uh, that's just a part of it. You're just going to have to deal with that. I just, I, I just don't need my owner doing press conferences. I don't need my owner in front of the media. I, I don't need my owner to be to want to be a part of the story, to want to be a story. I don't like. I like now. Coaches, coaches get uh, 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 coaching get a uh, coach getting fired. General manager getting fired. That's one thing. You're answering to ask questions or answer questions about those types of situations. But I don't want my owner talking about. Personnel. I don't want my owner talking about the players. To be honest with you, I want those conversations to be to be had behind closed doors, and not just in Washington over the past twenty years. It's too much around that going on around that in sports, where these owners are actually making personnel decisions. Like, no, we don't. We don't. Don't want to. I don't want another Jerry Jones in here. I don't want an owner. <laughs> who, you know, has their own draft board. I don't want an owner who, you know, goes to a game and, and you know, in essence tries to make a, you know, tries to make a, tries to make a scene by, you know, taking a ball from a player. Like I, I, I don't want my owner in the headlines from that standpoint. Again, Josh Harris from the onset said all the right things. Um, he, there isn't, like, for the first time in 24 years as a franchise, the Washington Commanders have an adult in the room. They have an adult in the room because they had a child, in essence, running the franchise for the past 24 years. A child. So you have an adult in the room. You have somebody who is is, is respected by his peers as far as uh, ownership because he's been an owner. So and all these owners in different, all these owners in various sports communicate and talk and, and they do, they have, business dealings and things of that nature. They, they all know each other, not just in the NFL, but just in, in all circles of sports. All, all, all these rich guys, these wealthy guys know each other. Trust me, they all of them. All of them do. So, again, he has a lot of work to be done. Um, again, more, more, there's more work to be done off the field than there is actually on the field. And they have some work. They have work to be done on the field with the quarterback situation, the offensive line. We can go through that you know, we'll go through that as the NFL season comes, uh, as the NFL season approaches with training camp and, and things of that nature. But more work done to be done within that, within the infrastructure of, of this franchise. Like the one thing this franchise has not had since Jack Ken Cook was the owner was a foundation. Where's the foundation? They haven't had one since, and that is something that. That's going to take time for the take time to build with the general managers, with your personnel people. He has again. He has. I don't. He has to get in people that he has to get people that he trusts. He has to talk to a lot of people. He has he's going. He's going to have to do a lot of research in terms because this is the NFL. It's not the NBA. It's, it's totally. It's a totally different sport. Totally different sport in terms of managing salary cap and things of that nature. And you're not depending on you know superstars, individual stars as much as a team. You know, fifty-three man roster and, and what have you. So he has to get in the right person, football people. Now he, Magic Johnson is great. 
having a Magic Johnson, that's from, from a marketing, branding standpoint, Magic, you will not get a better, more respected person than Magic Johnson. And I'm happy that Magic is a minority owner. I shouldn't even say that word, minority owner with the team, but I'm happy Magic is a part of the franchise, is a part of this franchise. Magic has done nothing but been a, have, but had done nothing but have success in his life on and off the court. Um, you won't have a, there's not a better guy that you can have in that position than Magic Johnson. But Magic Johnson is not going to be making football decisions, per se, in terms of on the field. He has to, he has to find people that he is comfortable with, uh, not comfortable. He has to find smart people, smart people that, you know, that don't understand the game, understand personnel. If he doesn't feel like we had, if he doesn't feel like they don't have those people in place right now. And, you know, from a sense of, you know, he is new from a sense of getting on your football team. So, new, so, so, from, so from that sense, he is new uh, from that standpoint. But with that being said, you still, as a fan, should hold him to a high standard considering what has transpired over the last 24 years and considering the fact that he is not new as an owner in terms of running a professional sports team. But this is not going to be, it's not going to be an overnight process. They have a lot of work to do with this franchise. I'm not even sure Rivera is the guy. Like, I do, do you want Rivera to have as much power as he has? Those are, these are questions that he's going to have to answer, that he's going to have to get the answer to. And that he's, you know, these are something, this is something that he's going to have to uh, address uh, seemingly right away. I, I myself don't, I think is a major problem that Ron Rivera has decisions over personnel. Though I don't like it myself. Like, bring in, bring in, have, give some personnel people, general manager, vice, people, vice president, people, uh, personnel people that you trust. That from from a football standpoint, and loud just Ron just coach the team. Like I don't, I don't think time. That's it. That 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 would be my first on field football thing. I would say within the organization that I, I would do if I were him. Like Ron, we like you. We love you on this team. Love you as a coach. As far as making personnel decisions, no, we're not. That's not. That has not been a winning formula. That's not been a winning formula in, in the NFL. And frankly, Ron Rivera is not at that level of a, as a head coach to be. He's not Andy Reid. He's not Bill Belichick. I don't even want Belichick making personnel, but Belichick has won so much at this, at this point. You know, it is what it is. But even Andy Reid has not has a say, but not Andy Reid is not making personnel decisions as far as drafting. Yeah, they'll they'll get his input somewhat, but he's not making he's you know he's not making the final decisions from that standpoint. So that's one of the first things that they're going to have to address. That he'll have to address. Um, but it is a new era for the Washington football team. Uh, you see, ticket sales are already going up. Fans are excited. But again, it's the proof of being a pudding. Like these fans are not these fans are, are these fans are have been through a lot. These fans have been through a lot as um, as a fan base uh, over the past 24 years. They are not going – excuse me here. Sorry about that. They are not going to uh, – you're not going to sit up here and just buy them out, buy them with some beers and, and with some nice words during the press conference. It's going to be a, a show and prove, show and tell. It's going to be, again, actions and deeds in terms of um, – rebuilding the relationship, rebuilding, you know, a trust, the trust in this franchise. Uh, once again, it's going to take some time. So running backs are, are seemingly, you know, 
under attack, <laughs> if you want to phrase it that way, uh, listen, so running backs are um, are, in a, are in a state of uh, panic, are in a frustrated state right now. You have a situation where there are only five running backs making over $10 million a year. Uh, Josh Jacobs, Tony Pollard, and Saquon Barkley all have some contract issues right now, all looking for new deals. Um, Saquon, like Saquon Barkley turned down, you know, a big deal earlier in the earlier in the offseason that could have got him $26 million guaranteed. Um, so that's it. And he would have made it, it would've, he would have making $13 million annually. So that's his own fault. And between him and his agent who thought he could get more money or between that's his own, you know, that's his own deal. Should have took that. He should have took the first deal, that, that deal. Now he's only going to get paid 10 million, uh, with the franchise tag. So here's the bottom line, right? First of all, this is nothing new from a standpoint of running backs being devalued. You cannot win a championship if your running back is one of your, is one of your highest paid players. The contracts, there have, been, there have been some contracts that have been given out. Look at some of these ridiculous contracts that have been given out, given out to running backs over the past couple of years. They have not worked out to, for the uh, particular teams. Had didn't work out in Carolina with McCaffrey. Didn't work out with Todd Gurley with the Rams. Did not work out with uh, in regards to, uh, of course, the, the worst one is the Ezekiel Elliott contract that was signed a few years back. Uh, five years, ninety million dollars, which was I, even at the time I, t- I told you just on this podcast that was on this podcast that that was an awful contract, and it would not work out. It did not work out, and the Cowboys not only didn't have not won a Super Bowl, they haven't gotten to a conference championship during that during that uh, time period, and Ezekiel Elliott was cut this offseason. So you can't pay a running back and field a team that can be a championship contender. You just can't. And the stats, the data proves it. Uh, the last 14 teams that have won the Super Bowl, their leading rusher has made an average of $1.4 million. That's all you need to know. So this ideal that, listen, there are a lot of things that I don't like about the NFL. There are a number of things in terms of just, uh, there's a laundry list. I'm not, I can't knock the NFL or teams for not paying running backs. And there's this narrative going around, um, whereas not just on Twitter, but just in general, that running backs are being targeted and they're trying to make the position extinct and extinct and all this other bullshit. You don't need a running back to you don't you can't pay a running back and be a and be a top team in the NFL. You just can't do it, and there's no need to pay a running back. This is not, it is like, what What part of that does, I don't know. I don't know what part of that are people not seeing or not, or not understanding. I get the running backs complaining because this is their livelihood. They should advocate for themselves or a whole, the wholeheartedly, 100%, 100%. I don't get other people in the, I don't get media people or I don't get media people trying to advocate for the running backs and saying they don't understand it. What do you mean? What part of it do you not understand? The quarterback position Quarterback salaries are skyrocketing, okay, by the day. So at so at a certain point, someone had to. Uh, there was going there was a position that was going to have to be sacrificed as far as salary, and there is no position that 
no like the running back is a perfect position not to pay. The guys get banged up with the, with the amount of physical wear and tear, and they're done. Most running backs are done by 27, 26, 27 years old. They're cooked. So, yeah, no, I, there's no need, there's no reason to pay a running back. None. The big issue to me, like, the bigger issue to me is, you know, if you're a running back, if I'm a running back right now, I'm, my, my anger is not with the team or even with the league. I'm going to, what about the Players Association? What is the Players Association? Because, truthfully, the franchise tag, the franchise tag hurts a lot of players, hurts a lot of players in terms of second, in terms of getting a second contract or becoming an outright free agent at a young age. We know NFL players have limited time to perform. Um, players are out three years. Our average career is three years and uh, three years or less. The average career lasts in NFL. But to me, if I'm a player in the league, I'm, some, I'm pushing for the Players Association to fight to get the franchise tag removed. Like I, I, I don't, I don't hear that conversation going on enough. The franchise tag absolutely hamstrings players. It, I mean, it ties them down. It is like you. I mean, you basically can control the player for the first what five or six years of their career. It's at the running back position. By the time that's up, they're done. They're more, 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 uh, more likely they're going to be done. They're going to be cooked. So that I mean that's the big picture com that is a big picture conversation that needs to happen. How do we get how do we fight to get rid of this franchise tag? And I haven't heard and I haven't even and again, it's more it's it's very it's, it's unlikely that it will ever happen, but I haven't even heard a conversation to push a, to even push for it by the players association. And the NFL Players Association is is a definition of weak. I mean, when I mean weak, they have zero backbone, none. And the players as a whole have no organization, and that's why the NFL continuously runs over them, and will continue to run over them, and do what the NFL will continue will do whatever they want, because the players as a whole have no organization between the Players Association and the players around the league. They don't they're not they're not organized as far as fighting against the systems, some of these systems that the NFL has put in place. That are that are pro league anti player when it comes to salary structures. Uh, when it comes, I mean, the NFL is making the NFL again is the most valuable sports product in all the sports in terms of four major sports by far. It's not even close. I know the NBA is going to make making billions of dollars and about to get a new television deal, but the NFL product is still by far and away the most superior in terms of value, the most superior sports product. But yet. You know the players continuously get you know screwed over, uh, it, it, depending on you know who you are. And like I said, it's only going to get worse because quarterback salaries are only going to go up. If I'm ranking the importance of positions just on offense, I'll, let's put defense aside for a second. If I'm ranking the importance and the value of positions on offense, quarterback one, offensive tackle two, wide receiver three. May and maybe maybe running back four, maybe I can make I can make a case. I'd rather have a, a I'd rather have a top tight end than than a ex, than, than a uh, than a, a good running back. If I have to pay somebody, I'd rather pay my I'll, I'll pay a tight end before I pay a running back. He's any good. So you know the idea that these running backs are going to get paid, they're not. These salary the running running back salaries are not going to go up until 
the NFL Players Association, fights for the players and the entire salary structure that for that fights for those players in terms of the, that salary structure going up. And even that, that that's not going to guarantee it to guarantee that those uh, those salaries go up. I I would I'll venture to say that the NFL salaries, NFL running back salaries, are probably going probably going to decrease. To be honest with you, I think ten million is going to be a ten million might be the max moving forward, if that. And I don't care how great the player is, because remember. Even if you come out of college and you're and you're destroying destroying people, you're going to be on a rookie deal coming out of college. You're not making, they're not paying you ten million dollars a year on a rookie deal. So if you come out of college, chip destroying, at worst, you know you make at most you're making probably four or five million dollars a year on a rookie deal. And there's no way that the NFL is going to is going to up the rookie scale in terms of salaries. That's not happening. Veteran players not gonna allow that to happen. So what's like? So what is the next step if you're a running back? Right? What do you do? What is your move as a running back? Let's say you come into. Let's say you're in college, right, or high school, and these are conversations, right, that you should be having, that uh, parents, coaches should be having with their, with their, with their, with these players right now. If you're a superstar running back in high school, college, what have you, in terms of what your future, if you're planning ahead for your future, in terms of what it could look like at that position, do you say, let's assume that you cannot switch positions and be and, and may have a pathway to make it to the NFL? Because I hear that, I because I hear that already, you know, parents saying, "Hey, I'm just gonna let, uh, I won't let my son play, uh, just won't play, uh, play football, not play football, but won't play, uh, just won't let my son be a running back." Well, that might be your son's only pathway to making it to the NFL. Where if he's just that gifted as a runner? I mean, where if he's just that gifted? That might be in in terms of his size or in terms of whatever. Where if he's just born to play running back? There are guys that are just born to play running back. Like I said, if if that's his only pathway to the NFL, what you're you're going to do, then what are you going to do? So I think, to me, I, I think that you know, you have to increase your value as a running back. You gotta go out. You have to, you have to be a great receiver as well. Like you have to, like you you have to be. You know, you have to be like a Marshall Falk or a Roger Craig or Ricky Waters and the ilk of those guys. You have to be a all-purpose, dual-purpose running back that can catch the ball out, out the backfield just as that can catch the ball just as good as he can run it. Even Christian McCaffrey. Well, at least when your contract's up, maybe you have a situation where hey, I can I can move to wide receiver possibly or. I don't have as much wear and tear on me. I'm still, you know, I'm still, uh, still having gas left in the tank. But I, but the idea, I, I, but you know, I'm just saying for them just to stay in the league. I don't think you're ever going to see a situation where running backs are making top, top, uh, big money in the NFL. I, I just the the quarterbacks are making just too much money. Again, someone had to sacrifice. Like a position had to be sacrificed when you court when if you have a quarterback that's making that's gonna that's gonna be making like forty to fifty million dollars and these salaries are only gonna go up, you know, when once uh once this next quarter group of uh, quarterbacks sign their deals, Burroughs, Herberts, once those guys get new deals, it's only the, the, the quarterback money is only gonna get to get only gonna go up. It's not going down or it's not going it's not gonna level out anytime soon. It's only gonna go it's only gonna uh only gonna go up as the years go by. 
Uh, so and what and wide receivers as well. Pass rushes now. You have defensive ends, defensive line. You have um, interior guys are getting big money now. You know those guys playing. You know Aaron Donald's position. Those guys. Uh, the guy from uh, the Jets just got a big deal. I think Quentin was. I think it's Quentin Williams. No, there was a time when those guys didn't get. I mean, you know those guys. It was, there was a time when when that position wasn't as valued as it is now. That position is just as valued as even as even a pass rusher. To be honest with you. So again, as those positions, especially along with along with quarterback, go up, then the running back position can will continue to be devalued. That's just the, that's just the way it's going to be. I mean, it's not. There's nothing that's going to change this. It's only going to get worse for the running for uh, the running backs. And again, I, I I think you know it'll be interesting moving forward, watching, seeing what you know. How does what effect will this have on the game of football moving forward? As far as these, as far as these college and high school these these college and high school players uh, playing college football as they move into the NFL. So. Hip hop, of course, it turns fifty. Turned fifty this year. Uh, they're celebrating a year long um, hip hop. Uh, they're celebrating a year long uh, celebration for the, for the world of hip hop um, at fifty, which is you know remarkable how long hip hop is. That uh, is fifty. Um, and you know, with that being said, we're gonna look back at two thousand three. We'll do a segment each program for the rest of uh, I'll say for the rest of the year uh, to celebrate the world of hip hop. Um, turning 50. Uh, we're going to look back at 2003 and in particular 50 Cent's uh, album Get Rich or Die Trying. Now, when this album came out, of course, this album came out in February of 2003. Um, this was this year, this, this was some of the albums that came out in hip-hop and R&B that year. You had Jay-Z came out, Jay-Z, Outkast, Ludacris, Freeway, uh, Beyonce, R. Kelly, Alicia Keys, Ashanti, T.I., uh, that's just the that's just off. Those are just the main main people that came out. It was a number. Two thousand three was a big year for hip hop and R and B for music in general. Um, but there was one guy that stood above everybody, and that was Fifty Cent. Uh, with Give Richard Die Die Trying, this album sold eight hundred seventy two eight hundred seventy thousand copies in this first week. It was the most anticipated rap album going back to probably since you know. It was probably the most there was talk there was talk during that time that it was the most anticipated debut album since Biggie's Ready to Die. So that that's how that's I mean there was a of course there was a bidding war for Fifty Cent amongst the labels. He was independent, you know he, he's doing he was doing his independent thing for for uh, his mixtape. It was on the mixtape circuit for years, um, and it was only it was, I mean it was only going to be it was only a matter of time before this album could only su- succeed. Because you're talking about having product, you're talking about him being groomed by Jam Master J. You're talking about production. You're talking about having Dr. Dre and Eminem as kind of like mentors and producers and and and, and what have you. And you had and you had, a, you had a you had a situation where you had an actual street dude who was actually in the streets talking about shit that actually happened. What a kind, what, what a concept! Somebody who actually was was in the streets and was about that life, talking about his life, and of course, and of course, you know, we're talking about Fifty Cent in regards to him getting shot nine times, surviving, and uh, and coming and surviving that, and coming back. You know, he, he would come, he would travel with you know, bulletproof vests, bulletproof windows, and travel vans. It was a, a very when that when all that went down, 
And I, I don't remember when he was shot. I don't remember, like, in 2000, I didn't really know who 50 Cent was in 2000. But when, you read, when you're reading some stuff about the story, leading all that, how that went down, and just in his life in general, you wouldn't believe it unless you actually, unless it actually happened. Like he, like he literally has had a life with his, you know, what happened, what transpired with his bomb, um, and with you know him, you know, hitting the streets at twelve, at the age of twelve, selling drugs at the age of twelve. But it's one of those, it's one of those lives that was made for, that was made for, for the movies and made for uh, storytelling. And one of the reasons why the album was what it was. Uh, again, I know a lot of people listen. Seven, 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 looking back at the album, seven of the songs were produced in five days. Uh, you had In the Club was on top, was a top song on Billboard charts for like nine weeks. And I, I, I re-listened to it recently, re-listened, re-listened to it today. Then, what, 19 tracks. You really only had about three or four, only two or three tracks that were skippable, which is not which is not a lot for considering that it was uh, that the that the album was nineteen tracks. It it literally it, I, again. I don't. Um, I don't think it's. I don't speak. I don't think I'm speaking out of context by saying this. It it is. It has to be considered one of the best albums of the 21st century, hip hop albums of the 21st century. I, I I don't think there's any question about that. From that considering the not only the success but just the quality of the album. I mean, this album from top to bottom was a high level album production wise um storytelling uh he and again he's getting groomed by he was he came in this album he sounded polished you could tell all the years going to mixtapes and things of that nature kind of paid off he because he sound he did not sound like a, a guy who came that, that just came out with a debut album it didn't sound it, he sound very polished at that at that young of an age. I forgot how old he was when his album came out. Uh, I want to say probably, what, 23, 22, 23, somewhere around the 22, 23. This is one of the best hip-hop albums of the 21st century. It's not, it's, there's no two ways about it. And I, again, I know 50 Cent, there's not a lot of people don't like 50 Cent in regards to you know, the number of beefs that he's, that he's gotten into with uh, music people, rappers, um, executives, and, and what have you. And especially in his earlier days, but the body of work, as far as like, as far as a debut album, as far as a debut album in terms of commercial success, that I mean, you know what? Who else? I mean, who else in the last twenty years has had a better debut album? Maybe outside of Kendrick. Maybe Kendrick. I would say probably Kendrick. Um. That list is very short as far as best debut albums in the last 20 or 25 years. You got, I mean, you got, I'm, I'm not even going, I'm not even counting the 90s. Let's put the 90s aside. Let's say 2000, from 2000 on, who has had a better debut album. I would say Kendrick uh, with uh, Good Kid, Mad City, off the top of my head. Who else? I mean, who else did think about who? I mean, who else has had a better debut album? So this was definitely an album that, um, that kind of ushered in a new style of rap not so much a new style of rap, but it kind of, listen, a lot of people try to copy this album in terms of, you start, you start hearing about guys who actually, this this will try, I, I guess they ushered in the fake gangster, the fake gangster. I can't even say, maybe a return to gangster rap, maybe it invigorated gangster rap, but also, it also created a lot of fake gangsters because dudes started 
Dudes who are not about that life started talking about started sound, trying to sound like 50 Cent, started talking about shit that they weren't doing in the streets. So it kind of it kind of reinvigorated that that type of uh that type of rap, so to speak, before before Kanye came in and kind of, you know, and, and did what he did as far as uh changing music. But this album was yeah, good kids. No, and Good Kid, no, and by, by the way, Good Kid Massey wasn't Kendrick's first album in Section 80. I, I this is right there with Section 80. I mean, is I, maybe I, I probably, this is, I, I could make a case this probably was the best debut album last one. I'm looking at Section 80. I could probably make a case that this was even better than Section 80. This was right there. This is right there as the best debut album of the 21st century. Um, we're gonna, we're gonna continue this. Uh, continue looking at uh, looking at hip hop at fifty. Um, this album for this album's total sales was nine as as of right now, as a last check had nine million uh, units sold uh, worldwide. Nine million units sold total. Uh, matter of fact, it might that number might even be at ten million. I'm trying to look let me look now. Uh, nine million. So it's so he sold nine million albums as of 2023, um, and you've heard it, you've heard it a lot recently because of the, uh, the uh, because of the uh, sales have gone up because of the anniversary the 20th anniversary of the of the album coming out. Twenty listen, 2003 was just a big year in general for hip hop. It was a huge year uh, uh, for hip hop, and but there was no question that this album was at the top of the charts, uh, at the top of the heap in terms of the in terms of the hip hop game. So real thoughts before I let you go. Um Jamie Foxx is uh is back. Um now he made it he was he did a uh not, not he didn't do a press conference, but he did a recorded a video over the weekend. And again you can tell, you know, some of the after effects of of you know him being sick over the past, you know, month or so. Um but it was just good to just good to see him back. Uh, first, it was good to see him alive. You know, it was very very much touch and go seemingly uh, with, with what was going on. People didn't know. I mean, obviously, people didn't know what exactly happened. You know, you know all types of speculation where she was a stroke or what have you. No, no one knows what happened. Um, in regards, he said he had tubes in his nose, but no one knows in regards like what exactly happened. Uh, that's one thing that his family did a great job of keeping it kind of nip tuck from that standpoint. And they had every right to do so. Like it was really was none of our business in terms of what was his sickness. It really wasn't. Um, you start hearing these ridiculous conspiracy theories about cloning and all this other not all this other bullshit. But it was good to see him talking. Uh, and he sounds like he's going to start working again. So you know we'll see. You know we'll see uh, his progress from that standpoint. But I mean, listen, you can tell. You can just look at his face in terms of the weight loss. You can tell that he was clearly was sick <laughs> over the course of the oh, when you when, he's, when I was watching that video over the weekend. But good to see him speaking. Um, you know, you got you know, listen, if you're especially for our black men, myself included, you gotta go, you gotta get yourself checked out. You gotta go to the doctor. Go to the doctor. Stay in the doctor. And you got health benefits. You got them for a reason. So you know, I don't especially at any age. I mean, you have guys, people. Dropping, unfortunately, dropping dead, thirties, forties in particular. Um, gotta check it. You gotta take care of yourself and check yourself and uh, go to a doctor. 
Um, again, we don't know what happened with Jamie Foxx, but it was definitely good to see him back in the mix and uh, speaking and, and up and, and seemingly feeling relatively uh, healthy as comparisons to what it was looking like, say, a month ago. Um, before I let you go, of course, Nas came out last week with Magic 2, his fifth album uh, with the Hit Boy connection, which has been nothing but Magic. Uh, so, listen, we have not seen a run like this. Forget about a rapper this, at this stage in his career. We have not seen a run like this, maybe, um, frankly, ever, in terms of five consecutive albums. And they're going to make, and they're already making uh, KD3 as well. KD, he said he said during the album that KD3 was halfway done. So you, anticipate, you certainly anticipate that coming out before the year is out. And again, I just, I just appreciate greatness. Appreciate artistry. Listen, I love hip-hop. Grew up on it. There's a lot of there's a lot of bullshit in hip hop right now. It's a lot of garbage out there. Anybody can put out an album. Anybody can. It's it's a lot of shit that's out here right now. So when you hear Nas come out, when you hear you know Killer Mike, appreciate greatness. Appreciate art. Uh, appreciate artists who see, who care about who care about hip hop beyond all the spoils, the money that is the attention. These are guys, uh, Nas in particular, when you hear, when you listen to Nas, you listen to someone who loves, who respects the craft, who is a tactician, uh, a tactician, technician, who is a pure artist. And he was doing, oh, he, Nas is one of the best writers, forget about hip hop, just writers in general. Like these, some of the, these guys, you know, the Nas is the world, the Jay-Z's the world. These are some of the greatest writers that, on the face of the earth that the world has ever seen in general, not just hip hop. I'm talking about, I'll put them against Stephen King, any writer, whoever you want to put, whoever, whoever book writer that you want to put against, I'll put Nas and all some of these guys up against. So appreciate the artistry of a guy from Nasir Jones, because it does not, this is a once in a life, the, the, the type of talent, the type of uh, dedication to uh, what he's to the craft this is a once. This is a once in a lifetime talent, and once in a lifetime. This is this is not going to be. There will not be another Nasir Jones as long as we, you know, as long as he's on this earth. They will die. I promise you, because there's two. There's number one. The closest thing to Nas is probably Kendrick. It's the closest thing. So that that would be Kendrick is probably the closest thing that we've seen to, to Nas. But outside of that. There's just no one out there like that, like a like a Nasir Jones. There's not because it's, it's just because the bottom line is there's too much money in hip hop right now. You don't have to be you don't have to be you know that artistry doesn't get paid. It doesn't you don't get paid for being an artist. You get paid for putting for putting out hits. That's that's I mean that's just the way it is right now. And I'm not trying to sound like the old man on the you know get off my lawn, but that's just the reality of the game right now. You don't have to come out with a classic, and be you don't have to have come out with a classic and you know. Uh, to be to be relevant, you just don't anybody seemingly anybody and everybody's dropping music right now. But there are there are still certain guys who are out there. Like I said, Nas, Killer Mike, Killer Mike to say you know just name a few who are out there putting out high quality stuff. You know, Black Thought, um, who are out there still performing at a, at a at a very high level. And now again, Nas is at the highest level right now. He's as good as he's ever been. 
Um, now again, there'll never be another Illmatic album. That's a once in a lifetime album. That might be the greatest hip hop album of all time. It's in that conversation. It's one of the best albums of all time. But the level that he's occupying right now, he's performing at right now, is a level that uh, is rarely seen. Will ever will rarely ever be seen by any hip hop by any rap artist because no because you no. Know, let's be honest. This generation of artists, this generation of artists coming up just don't love it. Don't have that same passion for the art that they did in the past, that they have in the past in the in the in the eighties and the nineties and what have you. They just don't. It's just, I mean, again, it's just there's just a lot. Uh, most of it is money. It's just too much money in the game. Like you know, there was a time, you know, back in the day, you had to actually produce hits and albums and classics to get paid. Now you don't have to produce. You don't have to make. You don't have to have hits to get paid. Guys, guys are getting money in hip hop before they actually go out there and accomplish anything. That's just a reality. If you come out with one hit or one catchy, catchy song or catchy tune, you or you can become an Instagram star or a YouTube star overnight. You can't in hip hop now. Would that be if that would that last over the course of 10, 15, 20 years? No, but you know I don't know how many guys are looking to have 15, 20 year careers. And that's another thing about Nas, the longevity. He's been at it since what ninety one. Talking thirty, you're talking over thirty years. Came out ninety four. It'll be thirty. It'll be it'll, you know, Illmatic came out in what November of ninety four. It'll be next year. It'll be thirty years worth of albums. Thirty years of albums. Think about that at at the level that he's been at. So, uh, pick up the album Magic. Uh, not pick it up. I mean, stream it, listen to it. Again, efficient. 30, just 32 minutes, 32 minutes. That's all the album is. So you can just, you can run it over and over and over again. Uh, and all these albums have been efficient as far as the minutes played between 32 and like 45 minutes somewhere, uh, even with KD, even with all the, uh, even with the um, King's Disease 1 and 2. That's going to wrap it up for this latest edition of the Real Deal Podcast. As always, thanks for listening. Uh, this podcast will be up sometime tomorrow afternoon. Have a great, great rest of your evening. So long.